through once again. I enjoyed it. Enjoy each one of you being here this morning in your company and your fellowship, and just pray that we'll have a good time in the Lord's Word. And grateful for all of you that are here. I see we have uh, Steve with us this morning, as has already been pointed out, and we're grateful for that, and glad you're here. And doing very well, it looks like to me. <laughs> uh, now we have Gary over here. Gary's, of course, he's in and out from time to time. Now, we has an important date coming up, but not that kind of date. It's March the 11th. And on March the 11th, Gary's going to be sworn in as a U.S. citizen. So we drive up to, uh, you know, I can't remember the name of that town to save me. Greenville. Yeah, Greenville, Tennessee. We've got to drive up there. I'm going to go with him. We're going to drive up on Tuesday evening because we got to be there at the courthouse at 7.30 in the morning, and then they're going to uh, do the little ceremony, and um, so we get the privilege of riding along with him and sharing in that experience. So remember him while he does that. And then we have another guest over here with Miss Clara, granddaughter. How, what, Pam, Pam, yeah, and uh, you not a stranger, but uh, we want to acknowledge your presence with us this morning, and so we're glad to have you all here. Of course, we're missing some folks. Uh, Seth is working. Susie's working. Janet took uh, Anna home. She brought her to Sunday school, but she's really, really, probably shouldn't have done it, but she did anyway. Uh, Janet is such a driven person. She's almost like, almost like a Steve Weber there. She's just go, go, go. Uh, she brought her anyway, so she, anyway, she took her home. Uh, she just, she's probably going to have to have tubes put in her ears, and she has an appointment Friday with the doctor, so if you just remember her, it's just, she just had colds, and just, it's almost like it's unending. I mean, she no more gets over one, and a week later, so she's back at it again, so I think that's probably the only solution for her, so Anyway, of course, Jack and Dolores aren't here. We know where they are, and uh, and we got another guest just walking in there. We don't want to embarrass him, but we'll just let him walk in and have a seat. How you doing? Good. All right. I haven't seen you for a little while, but we're glad to have you here, too. So we're grateful for all uh, that are able to be here, and we just appreciate every one of you. And we have a, a little note here. I I can't remember if I read this or uh, I may have, but uh, you you might have remembered that um, Martha's uh, daughter Velvet was wanting to use the church for uh, a wedding, and she had a question, you know, since she didn't come here about whether she could use it or not. And we said, of course, she could, and all that. Well, then then they, I guess, the date got up on her so fast that she said. It's just not really time to plan it, so they're just going to go to a chapel up in Gatlinburg and get married there. But Martha was just writing this note to say thank you for Shirley and Harris and all the other members of the church for giving Velvet the opportunity to use the church for her wedding. We very much appreciate your willingness to allow us this privilege. And um, so she was just grateful for that and sent a thank you card along with it. And it just says to everyone at Community Baptist Church, thank you, Martha. And she wanted you to know that, and so I'm sharing that with you so you'll know that uh, she was grateful that we were at least willing to open the doors and, uh, for Velvet. And 
remembering Martha. You know, I still don't know for sure why she hasn't been coming. I think some of you had some contact with her, and uh, so we need to be remembering her as well. All right, we have been looking in Jeremiah, but I'm going to escape Jeremiah this morning, and I'm not even sure. I want to go to Colossians, so if you want to turn there, when I'll get back to Jeremiah. I didn't plan to quit this soon. I really wanted to go through and hit some other things, especially uh, move on to some of the uh, prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah and that day when Israel would be set free from her enemies, she would be at peace and so forth. And But I want to move over to Colossians and <coughs> spend some time there, <coughs> at this point anyway. Oh, I forgot to announce another thing. Just today is, the, uh, is my first day that I got off the fungus medicine uh, that I've been taking for 16 months. And... Um, I think I shared with you, my scan came out showing that it was not progressing, that it was, it's still there, but it's apparently scarred up, and so they're going to stop, check it again in three months, and we'll see how it is. So today's the first day I didn't have to take four pills for that. I'm grateful for that, too. Okay, let's read in the first, um, first eight verses, especially for this morning, and we'll see how far we get. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, <clears throat> and T- Timothy, or Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at, uh, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> we give thanks to God. Now, notice beginning in verse 3 through verse 8, in the King James Version at least, that's all one big sentence. Other translations have tried to make it so less wieldy by putting some periods in there and making them shorter sentences, but in, in Greek it comes out as one big sentence, and that's so, so we have it here. And so he says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the, faith, uh, and the love which you have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our fellow, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Now this letter of Paul's written to the church in Colossae, which evidently and apparently he never visited. Um, Some think he did. They think, well, how could Paul pass so close through that that area on his missionary journeys and never have went to Colossae? But if you turn to chapter 2 and verse 1, he says there, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Now that would seem to indicate that The Colossians had not 
seen Paul personally either. The second thing is, in the book of Acts, it's not mentioned anywhere that Paul ever went to Colossae. Um, it is felt like this man here, Epaphras, uh, may have been the one who evangelized in this particular valley where Laodicea and Colossae and um, there's a third one there and I forgot now what it is that are located in that area that that are not mentioned as cities that Paul visited. So it seems like, and it calls him a fellow servant and we see that in verse 8. A co-slave, a sundulos, meaning that Epaphras is a co-slave with me of the, of the same master. And it means with the common master. And of course, he's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's really elevating Epaphras to, uh, uh, well, he's doing two things. He's elevating Epaphras to this position. In our minds, we wouldn't think elevate, but in Paul's mind, elevating him to this place of a slave. On the other hand, we see in verse 1 that Paul is an apostle. We also see that he doesn't mention Timothy as being an apostle, but he says, Timothy, our brother. So at the same time, Paul is lowering himself to the place of a common slave along with Epaphras. And they're serving together in the cause of Christ. Paul's place as an apostle is as a sent one. And, of course, it is a position which gave Paul authority. He was a preacher of the gospel, that gospel which he received personally from the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he never saw Christ in the flesh, he did view Christ on the Damascus Road, and he also had opportunity to visit the Lord in heaven, at least I think so, when he was called up and received this gospel, which others spent about three and a half years with the Lord on earth. And Paul then has received this position of an apostle. An apostle means a messenger or more specifically a sent one. One sent with a specific message. So if, I, if a messenger was sent to some place and given a message to deliver, you know, he was an apostle. He had a specific duty and a message for which they were proclaimed to be an apostle or a messenger. And so it was with the apostle Paul. You know, he didn't have a job as a messenger and, and like some people do today or as a... Uh, as a uh, person who just delivers things here, delivers there, run messages over here with no purpose or view, just, you know, whatever's called to them. But he had a specific message in view and that which he was to bring. And so Paul here, this apostle, is not just any apostle or any messenger, but he's a messenger of Jesus Christ. And so that being the case, we would expect his message to be right in line with that which Jesus Christ has already taught his other apostles and disciples. And so as we would compare Paul's teaching concerning the gospel, we would expect and we, that we ought to be able to go back to the gospels and find 
the same message there. And, of course, that's the case. There's, a, there's unity in, uh, in, in the New Testament as well as throughout the entire Bible concerning its message. And he includes Timothy in that. Timothy, our brother Timothy, I think I shared with you maybe some time back. I know I shared this up at the uh, funeral for Kathy Stoltz when I was sharing my testimony there. I remember when I dedicated my life to the Lord, I went forward that morning and, you know, I... I was so green. I didn't really know what I was getting into. I just knew that my life was going to be different from this day forward. And I had forsaken all that was in my past, so much so that my very closest friends, even my one of my first cousins that we ran around with together, did everything together. I mean, I just dropped everything and dropped all, not all relationship in the sense of not talking to them, but I did not run around with him anymore after that. And he really had a hard time with that. He couldn't figure that out. And, uh, of course, I had opportunity to share with him about the Lord, but he's never had any interest in all his life. And you think about two people who spent so much time together, and the Lord in his grace and mercy extended that to me and allowed me to know the truth of his word. And he... He's just continued on the same path today as he was the day the day I made my decision to follow the Lord. Following that, I began attending church and and of course I began to grasp the the the, the words that were being used and in things that were being taught, you know, uh, learning doctrine and listening intently to the preaching and so on and I I observed how they in the church, various men called each other brother. And, of course, I began to pick up on that in the Bible. And uh, I remember distinctly, I mean, exactly where I was the first time one of the men in the church called me Brother Allen. And it really, I mean, it's just like, boy, it pierced me. And it, it just like, I felt so welcome. So much a part now of the body of Christ, of the church. And the fellowship of believers by the simple use of that word brother. So this is no small thing that Paul is sharing with us here concerning Timothy, our brother. Paul is, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, as one who preached with authority from the Lord himself, now humbles himself to call Timothy, my brother, Epaphras, my co-slave of the Lord Jesus. That's a pretty significant thing on Paul's part. It tells us something about the character of Paul and who he was. That he did not do as many do today. They used their office, their position. Remember, if any man desire the office of a bishop, an overseer, it's a place, it's a position and they abuse it, and they use it for their personal gain, grab whatever benefit they can, but not Paul. Paul was very careful of that, and so his whole humility and his demeanor as to the type of person that Paul was 
you know, flows right out from this very introduction here. And that's, that's good for, I, I mean, I love that. I think that's the kind of characteristic Paul's telling us that we all need to have. And not always easy to do. Uh, not always easy to keep our flesh in the check. Because that's what our flesh naturally desires to do, is to seek the opposite. It's to elevate. It's to climb up. It's to get over others. And, and to show myself to be a little superior. You know, I've always thought that, um, you know, in, in my own mind, as I'm thinking, you know, as I, some people like, it's like you picture somebody putting their hand on top of somebody's head, pushing them down in order that I could go up a little higher. You know, so people will see me. So people will take notice of who I am. When the entire tenor of Scripture is the opposite. Instead of pushing that one down, if it's a fellow brother in Christ or a sister, what are we to do? Lift them up. Edify that person. Bring them up. Your level of a slave. Bring them up and treat them as a fellow brother or a sister. Because just we're all one and the same. I've told you before, I think on more than one occasion... I don't even like the idea we have here, this this church, I mean, not, excuse me, not this church, <laughs> the church thing of having a pulpit with an elevated platform and raising the preacher up above everybody else. And I know for on a practical plane that it makes it easier for people to see you and maybe even easier to hear. But the idea for all this did not come from that. It came from the old clergy laity division and if you go back and study church history and church architecture together and you see how the older churches particularly the cathedrals were built during especially during the reformation maybe even times before that a little bit and how they they elevated and set apart the clergy from the lay people because they were (coughs) they were held to have far more importance i mean you know Hey, guys, you're down there, I'm up here thing. And that's so far from the truth of Scripture that it's become so distorted. But yet, even in churches today, which would probably stand in the same pulpit and tell you the same thing, and yet they practice something entirely different. Because when they stand here, they take advantage of it and use it in whatever way they can. And I don't have to point out instances you know If you just read the newspaper, you'll see plenty of instances where that's going on. It takes place all around us. So nothing, you know, it takes very little to win over humility. You just can't really beat that character in a person's life. And so we don't, I hope nobody around here is be the first one to write a book says, uh, how I obtain uh, a book on how I obtain my humility, you know, uh, that just wouldn't work, would it? Uh-uh. Well, Paul, in his introduction then in verse 2, writes, To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To the saints and faithful brethren. And you'll notice that there's only one article there. Not, it's not to the saints and the faithful brethren. 
but there's one article indicating one group of people. Saints and faithful brethren. In other words, faithful brethren is a characteristic of these saints here. Saints has more to do with, with a, a position than a condition. Now, it can, it, we tend to use it today as a condition. A saintly person as opposed to one who has the position of a saint, but then he's also faithful. We're going to see something of that just here in a little bit that I, that I hope will be a, a real blessing to you this morning. In verse 3, he says, We give thanks <clears throat> to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith. Where? What faith? This faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is an important little word, in, here, because it's a different word than's commonly used to say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This little word here, which is in the Greek, it's en. Of course, in English, it's in. But it has the idea of sphere, to be in a sphere of operation. And so what he's talking about here is the saints at Colossae, the sphere in which they operate or which they walk. And it's in Christ. And their faith, because of their faith, it's a continued faith which is in that sphere of Christ. So what's the point here? That it's one thing to be a believer in, which is either ice, E-I-S, or epi, E-P-I. That would be the two Greek words that we were, we were talking about that would mean, uh, if you, in other words, if it said faith in, ice or epi, or believe in, ice or epi, that would be what we would refer to as our initial trusting Christ, believing in him, hearing the gospel for the first time, and then believing Jesus Christ in him. But then to continue in that, believing and walking, having faith that is in the sphere of operation of Christ, where we conduct our life. In other words, everything I do, everything I believe, all that I know about Jesus Christ in my own personal life is all within relationship to him. You can't say that's true about every Christian. Sometimes the temptation, see, is to get out of that sphere. The things that want to pull us out of that sphere would be those three well-known <laughs> scriptural things. What, what could they be? But the world wants to pull us out of that sphere. Our own flesh wants to pull us out of that sphere. Or the devil. Any one of them will bring defeat. Any one of those will cause us to not be in Christ. In this sense here. You may be in Christ and be able to call yourself a believer. <coughs> but can you say you're in Christ at this moment? See, that's a different thing altogether. And so Paul's language is very careful here. Paul has never been to Colossae. They've never seen his face. 
but he's heard about him through Epaphras. And so he says there, well, King James says, since we, the word there literally is having. He says, praying always for you, having heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, I've heard about your faithfulness. I've heard about how you walk with the Lord. I've heard about how you continue in the sphere of Jesus Christ. Or the sphere in which you exist. So that's that's an important concept to know that there's a distinction about what happens when we walk out the doors of this church. But actually, that's just popular preaching. There's a distinction between what we are sitting in this pew in Christ as a believer in Jesus as opposed to having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Being in that sphere where he is. Now, to get a little more of an idea of what this means, to be in that sphere where Christ is, where, where, you know, where we're operating in view of Christ, look down at, um, well, let's just continue reading that. He says, having heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, that's an important equal thing with having faith in Christ. Love to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Now you can have hope in a subjective sense that you hope something might happen. But you can also have hope as an object. And that's what it is here. The the context here would only allow that. That is to say that these saints here, these believers who were in this sphere of operation of Christ, where, where their existence took place, on a day-by-day basis. He says, as an object of that faith, there is a hope. And that hope, then, he says, is laid up for you in heaven. So because it's an object, then you and I ought to be asking the question, well, what is it then? What is that hope that's laid up in heaven? And I think maybe a better word here, in this instance at least, would be the word reserved in heaven. And to be honest with you, almost every other, matter of fact, I think, every, every translation I looked at, other than the King James, used the word reserved here. To be reserved in heaven. What kind of distinction can we make there? Well, let's just turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1 for a minute. 1 Peter chapter 1, um, I think, will give us a better idea, a more vivid description of this hope then. What is it that Paul's talking about that they held out as something that was out there that they were hoping for? And in verse 3, Paul says, Blessed 
B, now you'll notice B is not in, in the Greek there. It's in italics. So some would say it this way. Blessed with an exclamation mark. And then the would start a new sentence. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope or a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. Now there he gives us a description of what it is. It's an inheritance. And it's incorruptible, it's undefiled, and it's unfading. And it's reserved in heaven for you. Now, let's turn back to Colossians chapter 1. And I want us to look at verse 13. Notice what Paul says there. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now that word translated, it literally, very literally means to move from one sphere over to another sphere. And we see now, when Paul's talking about that faith in Christ and that sphere of operation, he says there what that is, that we have been moved from darkness into light. Oh, but it doesn't say that there, does it? It says into the kingdom of his dear son. But guess what? If we go back to John chapter 1, and let's do that, and we'll see... All these various kinds of words used to describe essentially the same thing. And this is where Bible study takes a lot of work. I like Mike's been telling us for a couple of weeks. He said, this takes a lot of work. You got to do a lot of searching. And I'm convinced, he says, that uh, God allowed the Bible to be written this way so that we'd have to work to seek out these truths that are here. And I'm, I'm convinced he's right. <laughs> I think that's, that's exactly what I believe. And so we have, to, we have to look at it. Notice in verse, uh, actually go back to verse 4, and he says there, in him, that is, and of course he's talking about Christ, the word, he says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. It was the light. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So you see that the world was in darkness. But Christ brought light into the world. And so, to be in Christ is to experience the light. And doesn't John also tell us in 1 John chapter 1, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another. But you see, if there's a group of people who are in Christ, in the sense we're using it in, in Colossians, and there is someone who is walking out of that. They're either walking in the flesh, they're walking according to the world's pleasures, they're seeking out the world's desires, or the devil's deceived them, then you can't have fellowship with that person. It just isn't possible. And so, this difference between darkness and light, 
It's an important concept for us. Verse 6 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. Might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Now, just as a side note here, look, just notice something here. Look at verse 7 where it says the light. It just happened on this one day, and it really just stood out to me. Then look at verse, so here the Lord Jesus is called the light. Now look at verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son. There he's called the only begotten Son. Now look over at verse 29. The next day John went, uh, uh, seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Now he's called the Lamb of God. Come over to verse 41. He that first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah. He's called, he's the Messiah. Which is being interpreted the Christ. Every time you see the word Jesus Christ, it's, you could just as easily and maybe more probably ought to be saying Jesus the Messiah. That would make it a lot clearer in our minds when we understand the promises of the Old Testament that God was going to send a Messiah who would come to deliver Israel and bring peace and righteousness to this earth. Then you turn over to... Well, excuse me, I turn over. You go down to verse 49. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Here he's called the Son of God. And then in, thou art the King of Israel. Now he's called the King of Israel. And if you look at verse 51, he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God descending, or ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So all of these titles are descriptive terms concerning the Messiah, who he is. And make no mistake about it, John is saying, this Jesus of Nazareth, he's the one. It's him. We've identified him, and he has come. And so this one who is the light of the world, Paul is telling us here, has translated us from this kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of his dear son. And you, you, you don't want to miss out on that word translated because it means then in some sense of the word here that we are in the kingdom. If you trusted the Lord and you believe, then there is a sense in which you are in the sphere of the kingdom. And that's why
strive to get it because you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And I, when I say place your faith in Jesus Christ in the word of the truth of the gospel, I mean the entire gospel that Jesus proclaimed, not the common gospel you hear being preached around in churches in common sense way. I mean the word of the truth of the gospel, which we would also know as the word of the All throughout, all four of the Gospels. The word of the kingdom. And so, to place your faith in Christ, to have believed that Gospel, means that there is reserved in heaven, laid up for you, this inheritance, this hope. And now, it's up to us to run the race. To run according to the rules. Knowing that I could run all the way to the end and not get the prize. Because I didn't run obediently. I didn't strive according to the rules. I didn't labor for the Lord according to the rules. So Paul's description about these saints at Colossae, who they were, the condition of their faith is important to us. It's, and it should be encouraging to you that if we remain faithful, if we conduct ourselves in this same manner, then there is for us laid up in heaven, reserved an unfading inheritance. One well, in other scriptures is described as a crown. Something that we can obtain. It is an object, a hope that has an object to it. I used to hear people describe and define hope this way. They say, they'd say, now, hope in the Bible is not hope like we commonly understand it in the subjective sense. That is, um, well, I hope it's going to happen. It may or it may not, but they would say hope is a sure thing. Well, the hope here is an object. It's there. Now, again, it doesn't mean you're going to get it. But it's a sure thing that it's there. No question about that. Reserved in heaven or laid up in heaven for you. That only comes about by hearing the word of the truth of the gospel and believing it. See, they've already done that. The believers at Colossae had already done that. Paul's now commending them for what's following that believing. And that gospel, he says in verse 6, is come unto you as it is in all the world. And that doesn't mean the entire world at that time had heard the gospel. It meant that the gospel was freely going out into all the world at that point in time. It was going everywhere. It was just going to city after city, nation after nation, people after people. And it brings forth fruit as it does also in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. <coughs> Excuse me. So, he says in verse 4, having heard of your faith, that was at the present. 
That was at the time Paul was writing this letter to that church. But then notice also, he says in verse 6, since the day you heard it. They heard the gospel at a given time, and Paul's simply telling them, I hear that you're continuing, that you're still operating in Christ, in him. You know, it's important that at the end of our life, that's how we're found. Doesn't the writer to Hebrews tell us in 11.6, these all died in faith? You don't, you don't want to die having been in that sphere of faith and then moved over here to walk with the world or to give in to the desires of your flesh because at that day then, that faith that you may have had for 20, 30, 40 years prior to that, it won't avail you in that day. It will not allow you to claim that inheritance reserved in heaven for you. You just can't do that. So how we're walking, see, is really important. I, I just, I got convicted reading that. I get convicted while I'm up here preaching this. About, because I'm, I'm, I'm just bouncing this around on me, measuring my own life. Lord, am I really where I ought to be? And I want to be there. I really do. <laughs> I certainly do. If God's given me this responsibility, and I think about this too all the time, Lord, man, you've given me this responsibility to preach to these people? Ooh, help me. <laughs> help me. I mean, I don't want to get there at the judgment seat of Christ and see God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant to all of you. But he points to me and said, yeah, yeah you preached it okay, but... You know that's possible? That is entirely possible. I don't want to hear that. That's why I need you. That's why I need your love and your, your encouragement and your, your blessing and your company and your fellowship. All of that, it works to help every one of us continue in the faith. Well, the rest of that sentence just tells them that um, well, the first, the last thing there in that sentence, he says um, concerning knowing the grace of God in truth, that it's purely of his grace, purely of his grace, that we would be allowed to know such wonders and such majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he commends then, as we said earlier, this fellow servant of his, Epaphras, whom they heard, apparently heard the gospel message from. He says, whom you've learned of Epaphras. And in verse 8, who also declared unto us your love in the spirit. That's the second time now already he's mentioned love. What an important concept. You cannot be in this sphere and not have love for your fellow saints. It just cannot happen. As a matter of fact, if you don't have the love, then you're not in that sphere. That's clearly what Paul's implying here. And so this is the place where we are to walk. 
This is the place in which we are to conduct ourselves amongst one another. And I'm glad. I am so glad. I'm here. To, I hope you don't get tired of hearing it because I don't get tired of saying it. But I'm so glad I'm here to fellowship with you and minister here on your on your, you know, your behalf and on the behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's my privilege. And I want to tell you all again this morning, I love you all very much. And I just pray that when you go today, that you'll walk away from here, not just having learned something different about the Bible or the scriptures or something new, but your heart goes away rejoicing because of what Christ has done for you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that we have this joy and this privilege. And now we pray, God, as, as we sing this hymn of invitation and give folks an opportunity to come, if there's a special need or anything that we uh, have on our hearts, that they would feel free to come and know that they're amongst the kind of people who would lift them up, encourage them, and, and be a blessing in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have that need this morning, then we want to invite you to come, please.